This is the Thorn Podcast, the show that navigates the complex world of wellness and explores the latest science behind diet, supplements, and lifestyle approaches to good health. I'm Dr. Robert Roundtree, Chief Medical Advisor at Thorne and Functional Medicine Doctor. And I'm Dr. Frank Lipman, New York Times bestseller and Functional Medicine Doctor. As a reminder, the recommendations made in this podcast are the recommendations of the individuals who express them and not the recommendations of Thorne. Statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Any products mentioned are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Thorn Podcast. How are things going for you, Frank? Good. I'm enjoying this hybrid life. I go into the office once, sometimes twice a week, and I'm doing the rest from home. And one day I do virtuals from my grandson, from my daughter's place, so I'm actually quite enjoying this hybrid lifestyle. It's become a whole new way of doing things. Yeah, we're lucky enough that we can sort of work from home. Yeah. So we're blessed. Yes, very much so. So let's get into the main topic for the week. Uh, we're going to talk about, are you ready? I'm weight ready. management. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, weight management. Well, I've got some very strong, clear thoughts on that because I think there's so many weight myths out there yes. that maybe we should we should bust some of them. What do you do when someone comes in to your office and says, I need to lose weight? How do you approach that? What are the kind of questions you ask and what kind of do you do a workup? Do you think they need a workup? What kind of lifestyle issues are you concerned about? Sure. So the first thing I tell them is I'm not a weight loss doctor and I, I'm not here to just help you lose weight. My job is to help you get healthy. And as a side effect, you're going to lose weight. But I don't specifically do things to lose weight. But uh, to me, focusing on the weight alone is, is not particularly helpful. I'm always very clear with people. It's about getting healthy. When you get healthy, you'll lose some weight as a side effect. The second thing I say to them, that you can't out-exercise or outrun a bad diet. It's not about calories in and calories out. Food's much more complicated than that. There's a complicated hormonal response to different foods, um, and it's not just about calories. So counting your calories is not the way to go. I, what I do is a normal workup. I'll do a workup for metabolic health. I'll do an advanced lipid panel. I'll do uh, hemoglobin A1C. I'll do you know all my normal markers to see what's going on, and then I just correct the underlying imbalances. We start off with paleo type of diet, a low carb diet, because I've seen that as a starting point seems to be the most effective. Most people get the most bang for their buck by cutting out the sugars, the refined carbs, just cutting back on the carbs, especially in the older population. So that's where I'll start. Um, when someone comes in after taking a history, I'll put them usually on a low-carb diet. Always will look at stress and sleep because if there's cortisol's too high at night and they're not sleeping, it's going to affect the other hormones, which is going to be hard to lose weight. And for the same reason, if they're stressed out, causing high cortisols is going to affect the insulin and, and ghrelin and leptin and all the other hormones, which is going to, going to affect their weight. So 
just once again, it's more about a, it's a comprehensive lifestyle management program that is going to get them to get healthy and as a consequence, lose weight. So you, you said a few interesting things, uh, and I, I want to key in on this notion of the high cortisol. A number of years ago, there was a book out called The Schwarzbein Effect. You might remember, uh, I think her first name was Diana Schwarzbein. I, I met her and, and we became friends and dove into her book. She was certifying people in her method, et cetera. But when I really dove into it, I realized the main thing she was saying is if people go to super low calorie diets, it raises their cortisol and the cortisol makes them gain weight. Uh, as far as I can tell, that's what the Schwarzbein effect was, is simply saying, you know, this excessive calorie restriction causes problems. Your adrenal glands stress out because they think you're starving and your cortisol levels go up. Is that your take on it too? Yeah, I would agree with that. The most important thing I tell patients is this is, you know, it's about creating a lifestyle that's going to work for you. It's not about putting you on a diet. It's finding a way of eating that's going to work for your metabolism and get you healthy. So yes, I would agree with that. So here's a little anecdote for you. It was a number of years ago, I was at a conference and I got introduced to this guy who, I'm not going to name any names, but he was the CEO of a major weight loss company. You know, one that everybody's heard of that people go to and, you know, they weigh in and they get their their shakes and their their diet plans and all that stuff. But he had retired from the company. And I said, well, I bet you know a lot about the optimal ways for people to lose weight. And he said, no, what I learned was the optimal way to keep people coming back in. Right. No, yeah. I, I'm not surprised about with that. A little bit of a cynical view, but, you know, in a way, he was saying this whole weight loss thing, the popular methods of weight loss, are bogus. Right. You know, the one thing I didn't mention is as with anything else, you know, the, the workup is going to determine if there's a thyroid issue. But for the most part, I always start people off on a low carb diet. And, and sometimes, you know, in the last few years, I'm getting more and more into recommending some intermittent fasting for people. Now, some people lose some weight on that. Uh, some people don't. I don't really use it for weight loss. But consistently what I will find when we do time-restricted eating is their lipid profile in particular and their metabolic numbers improve, which is I find quite interesting. Has that been your experience? Yeah, I think, I mean, all the numbers seem to improve on this overnight fasting yeah. TRF regimen. Uh, one question I would have for you is like, do you see a magic number that a person has to hit so the kind of classic recommendation is 16 hours of overnight fasting, nothing but water or black coffee, and then, you know, putting all your calories into an eight-hour window. Do you think people need to go 16 hours overnight to see those benefits? I would say 14 to 16 seems to be the case, but I've actually seen, you know, what I find so interesting, and I'm sure you'll concur, when you do this a long time, you know, some people do it fine just with 12 hours, but I'd say as a general rule, 14 to 16 hours seems to be what works. And it doesn't, what I also have found, people who do more intensive fasting don't seem to get that much better results. I mean, I think you at around 14 to 16 hours is great, but, you know, once you start going further and further, doesn't seem to improve the results 
that much more. Well, then that brings comes back to what Dr. Schwartzbein used to say, which is, you know, when you get super restrictive, overly restrictive, it stresses right. the body. Yeah. But I think if people can build up to going 14 hours or 16 hours, which is beneficial in a lot of other ways. Right. And I, I just had a client yesterday who has gone into remission from multiple myeloma. You know, he's engaging in a 16-hour overnight fast every night, and he feels great. He's really healthy, robust, working out. So it's, I think it's good for you in a lot of different ways. Right. And, and I think let's talk about it because it's that hormetic stress, you know, the concept of hormesis, that a little bit of stress is actually good for your body. It stimulates autophagy. It, it works in a positive way on the longevity genes. It's uh, as opposed to Schwarzbein concept. So a little bit of stress, that hormesis, a little bit of fasting is good, but too much may, may not be good. So you want to just talk a little bit about what hormesis, that little bit of stress does to the body? Well, I think it, it actually came out of research that was, uh, was done on certain toxins, where it was found that low doses of toxins in some cases could be beneficial, including one that's surprising, which is dioxin, that, there, that it's not just a straight linear curve. And the more they began to study this, the more they began to realize that different substances like hormones have different effects at different levels. And then that kind of spread to looking at lifestyle issues. And that brought in this whole concept of the Wim Hof method, you know, which is the idea that jumping in super cold water, you know, taking an ice bath kind of shocks the body a little bit. I know there are people now that have these tanks in their office where these cryo tanks that you climb into. I've yeah. been in one. Yeah. You, you get in this tank and it sprays you with liquid nitrogen. So it cools your skin to a very low temperature. And it only does this for a couple of minutes, not enough to cause harm. But it's the idea is that that kind of brief exposure to stress tends to reset your body. And that's what's called the hormetic effect is that a little bit of a stress, you know, whether it's a toxin or maybe a supplement like sulforaphane from broccoli sprouts. Um, broccoli seeds, you know, the, the broccoli sprouts are not working as an antioxidant. They're hormetic agents, right? They actually stimulate the body to respond to the stressor, and that stimulation improves metabolism. So I've had a lot of people that do the Wim Hof method and say they found it very, very helpful. It improves their energy. They lose weight doing that every day. I'm, I'm not one to jump in ice cold water, but, you know, I'd say when people... If they're willing to do it, I will encourage them to do it. Yeah, I, what I tell people to do is you, you can do it at home. You, you have a hot shower and you just finish it off with half a minute of an ice cold shower. And you do that? <laughs> uh, I actually go from the sauna into a cold plunge, yeah. Oh, good for you. <laughs> and then sometimes back into the sauna and then back, I, I, I love it. You just It's so invigorating. I love it. Well, I do watch people. I, I go for a swim twice a week at my gym and, and they have a cold plunge right at the end of, in the corner of the pool room. And I see people go jump in there and I think, okay, you know, that's good you, you, for you. Well, it's easier to actually jump into something like that than put the cold water on in a shower, to be quite honest. That's been my experience. I have a harder time putting the cold water in a shower after a hot shower on then jumping into a cold pool after a, <laughs> my infrared sauna. 
Now, what do you think about the role of the microbiome? I mean, there's studies showing you can take skinny rats and get the poop from a fat rat and transplant it into the skinny rat, and the skinny rats get fat. So let's right. talk about that. Absolutely. My experience has been absolutely that a, an altered microbiome is probably one of the commoner causes of weight loss. You know, in the old days when I used to have a cleanse, my cleanse was really just using antimicrobial herbs to balance the gut or to kill the bad guys. I hate that term in the gut. Um, you know, I used to put people on basically a sort of elimination diet and use antimicrobial herbs. And the weight loss results were incredible. And that's why it became so popular because people were losing weight. And I think it was because we were correcting the microbiome. So, yes. I do see that, you know, in, in, and I always tell people that because I'd say at least half the people I see in my practice, probably three quarters, for some reason I've become known as fixing people's digestions. But a side effect of, you know, when you correct your microbiome is weight loss. So, yes, I think that's obviously a very common cause of weight gain. I have some ideas. Why do you think that's so common? Never mind the research, but clinically, why do you think this altered microbiome is such a common cause of weight gain? Well, first of all, I think that there are toxins in our environment. The, probably the top of the list is glyphosate, the main ingredient in Roundup, right. that are affecting our gut microbes. I mean, glyphosate, people don't know this, but it was originally licensed as an antibiotic. Yep, exactly. It was yep. an antibiotic. So yep. here's this substance that is basically ubiquitous in our food. I mean, they found it in wine and beer. And but but you know why it's ubiquitous? Because farmers use it to speed up the drying process on a lot of grains and a lot of beans in America uh, are sprayed with glyphosate, not because they need it, but because it speeds up the drying process. So it helps the farmers get it out earlier. So yes, it's totally ubiquitous. And, and you know, it's permeated the whole American food system. And it's killing off the good guys, and yep. the, it kills the good guys and the bad guys. Whereas, interestingly enough, I found that I often can put people on berberine, which is one of our favorites that we talk about a lot, and I see people lose weight from the berberine. Now, that could be the mitochondrial effect, but it could be changing the microbiome. And its effect on glucose metabolism may be that too, but yes... I always use berberine as part of my antimicrobial treatment for the gut, yes. And I think it has multiple effects. The other thing that I use a lot for weight loss is uh, green tea. Is it through the caffeine or is it the green tea polyphenols that are doing it? I'm not really sure. But there are a lot of studies on green tea for weight loss. Now, if you drink, just drink green tea, you know, then you need six cups or more a day if you take something like the green tea phytosome, you know, which is easier to absorb, you don't need nearly as much, just a couple of caps a day. But I think for listeners, most important is once again is weight gain is telling your body that something's not working well. That's a pointer to some imbalance. So as fatigue is, weight gain is just another symptom that you need to look at. You know, what are you putting into your body that needs to be removed? Is it too much sugar? Is it too, too many foods with glyphosate? Are you too angry? Are you too stressed out? And what do you need to add? Do you need love in your life? Do you need some more sun? Whatever it is, what do you need? You know, are you deficient in certain nutrients? So it's the same concept. 
most symptoms always look for why are you presenting with a symptom and rather than just treating the symptom look for the underlying problem or problems yeah i i totally agree i think i made the comment about the mainstream weight loss organizations and how they're just focused on calories in calories out how much you exercise how many calories do you eat and not uh, thinking about the quality of diet which you've already mentioned but also, they almost never talk to people about toxins. We've mentioned glyphosate, which is just one of really thousands of toxins that people are exposed to. There's a concept that I talk to docs about when I do trainings and detoxification, which is that the solution to pollution is dilution. That if we have a high toxic load in our body, then we'll actually put on body fat as a way to dilute the concentration of the toxins. And so that takes us down a whole different pathway of not only cleaning up the microbiome, but cleaning up the total toxic load. Yep. yep. And, you know, I know you've actually developed products for detoxification and have really gone down that pathway in some, some detail. So detoxification, I think, is a legitimate thing, even though... If, you know, if you read the New York Times or some of these, the mainstream media says detoxification is all hokum, you know, and that there's no data that toxins are hurting us. I just think that's crazy. I mean, that's not in keeping with the research. Right. Especially in this day and age. Like, how, how can they make an assertion that, the, you know, they say, oh, these invisible toxins are hurting us? Well, absolutely. You know, the data is there. We've got animal data on it. It's pretty clear. Uh, and you and I see in our practices all the time, you lower the amount of toxins and people feel better. They have more energy they and they lose weight right. as a result of getting the toxins out. Right. And you support, you know, uh, what I always tell people that we do have normal detoxification mechanisms in the body. The problem in this day and age, we just overloaded with so many chemicals and toxins because our bodies are... It, internally are making toxins that's normal but when we have so many external toxins coming in added to that it just overloads our normal detoxification system so you've got to try firstly remove as many toxins as possible and secondly add or you know replace or support your body's own detoxification mechanisms and there's certain uh, nutrients that can do that and, and most companies make sort of detox formulas where they add a lot of the nutrients that support phase one and phase two detoxification pathways in the liver. Absolutely. As I've mentioned several times in this podcast, one of my favorites is sulforaphane, you know, which comes from broccoli seeds and broccoli sprouts. Okay. All right now. So we got to take a short break and then we'll get back and take some questions. Aging is an inevitable process, but there are things we can do to help us age better. That's exactly what my outstanding co-host discusses in his latest book, The New Rules of Aging Well, a simple program for immune resilience, strength, and vitality. In this beautifully illustrated book, Dr. Lippman unveils a simple program to ensure that your body ages as healthily as possible with simple, practical, and doable tips based on ancient wisdom and backed up by the latest science on longevity. 
Dr. Lippman helps identify lifestyle changes that will significantly improve your natural aging process by optimizing fitness and rest, dietary habits, and focusing on inner health and deeper wellness. Whether you are 25 or 65, this book should be essential reading for those interested in building better immunity, wellness, and longevity. The New Rules of Aging Well is available in hard copy, ebook, or audiobook. Order your copy today by visiting drfranklipman.com. That's D-R-F-R-A-N-K-L-I-P-M-A-N.com or through Amazon and other major book retailers. And we're back. So now it's time to answer some questions from the community. Our first question this week comes from a listener who asked, after The Biggest Loser, the reality TV show, almost all of the contestants regain the weight they lost. Why is that, Frank? Well, I would guess because they haven't dealt with the underlying issues that are causing the weight gain. Uh, you know, as we always say, you've got to look for why the oil light went on. One way is just to put a band-aid over the oil light. If you're not dealing with the underlying issues, it's just going to come back. That's the first thing. The second thing I would say is my, my experience has been you want to make, uh, whether it's food or exercise or what, uh, lifestyle changes, you, you want to create healthy habits for people and encourage them to make changes that are doable. I don't think there's just one way. The biggest loser is what I can't even... I don't, I'm not even sure what they did. Exercise, yeah, like crazy. and Yeah, but that's not going to work for everyone. You've got to adjust the treatment protocol and the management to whoever's sitting in front of you as a patient, where their heads are at, what they're able to do, and, and sort of take them along. And once again, look for are there any underlying issues, whether it's adrenal fatigue that we keep talking about, or something else that is causing that. And, you know, if they have metabolic syndrome and they're not on a, a low-carb diet and not dealing with that, you know, that's going to come back if they start eating a high-carb diet again, if they not haven't dealt with a thyroid issue or whatever it is. So that would be my answer. You've got to deal with the underlying issue, otherwise it'll come back. And you've got to, there's no one way to treat, you know, everyone's a little bit different. And you've got to sort of adjust accordingly. And, Really tell people this is a new way of eating. This is not a diet. This is not a quick fix. This is a lifestyle. It's about getting you healthy. And once you start getting healthy, you are going to lose the weight. So that would be my answer. I totally agree. It's all about a long-term lifestyle transformation. That's what you got to do. And, you know, a TV show wants something that's flashy. Yep. You know, the big flashy intervention that seems to work. But, you know, they don't want to ask that hard question of what's that person doing in a year or two years. Every weight loss study that comes out, you, you got to ask, did the researchers look into that issue? Did they come back and do the follow-up in a year or two? Otherwise, it's meaningless. Right. Absolutely. Okay, here's an interesting question that I get asked all the time. Bob, the question is, how can I boost my metabolism? Well, kind of the simple answer to that is getting your body into a fat-burning mode. How do you get the body into fat-burning mode? Where do you burn most of the fat? In your muscles. So the more muscle mass you have, the more fat you're going to burn. 
And studies that have looked at that have said it's got to be a combination of not just aerobics, but also resistive exercises, you know, lifting weights, that sort of thing. So exercise is good because it bulks up your muscle mass, but it's got to be a combination of exercises. And I've certainly seen people at my gym, you know, that are on the treadmill week after week after week. And you see these people over months and they don't lose weight. So just getting on the treadmill for an hour or three times a week is clearly not enough to do it. It's it's not a bad thing to do, but it's not going to bulk up their muscles enough to make a difference. It's got to be this complete combination of exercise. So that's number one. Number two, I've got to say the research on caffeine is pretty good. So for people that don't have adrenal stress where you worry about the downside of caffeine, a little bit of caffeine, especially in the form of green tea, is great. So one thing I recommend a lot to people is matcha tea, which is a powdered green tea, about a half a teaspoon twice a day. It's got just enough caffeine to stimulate the metabolism without keeping people awake at night. So I, I recommend that. And I also like alpha lipoic acid, which makes mitochondria work better. It's a weird thing, but I've, I've put people on alpha lipoic acid a few hundred milligrams a day and seen them start to lose weight. And that also may be related to sugar metabolism, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I love alpha lipoic acid. I think it has such a multi-faceted uh, uh, nutrient that helps so many pathways. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, Frank, are all fat people diabetic? Interestingly not. I would have thought that too, actually. But I actually, and this happens fairly often, I mean, someone will come in and they're overweight and I just assume that they're diabetic or pre-diabetic at least. And I get their bloods back and their numbers are pretty normal. So, you know, I'd say a lot of overweight people are probably diabetic or pre-diabetic, but not necessarily. I mean, I've seen a good number who I've always expected their, their labs to come back abnormal and they're not now you know they obviously have mechanisms that are you know metabolizing the carbohydrates pretty well so the answer would be no yep i i agree and you can have uh thin people who are diabetic yes thin people with type 2 diabetes so you know metabolism is a tricky thing and and you can't just go by the outward appearance i think part of the explanation is what we mentioned earlier was the microbiome yep is you can have somebody with the type of microbiome imbalance that causes them to extract a lot of energy from food. So they eat a little bit of food and it goes a long way, right? They eat a little food, they extract a lot of energy from it. They don't have to eat that many calories and sure enough, they put on fat. Right. So it really is uh, has to do with more of their metabolism of how do they burn fat and what's their muscle mass. Right. Okay. So here's a question. Talk about the harm of weight stigma among healthcare providers. Well, I think what this question is asking is, do healthcare providers judge people for being fat? Right. And this is not, it's not as uncommon as you might think. You might think that a person is trained in medical school or, you know, PA school, whatever they went to, that they would simply look at a problem as being a problem instead of having a character judgment going along with it. But there have actually been studies on this. And they show that a lot of doctors will assume that when they have a, an overweight patient come in their office, they assume that they just eat too much and they are lazy. I do think that's a big problem. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And, and you know, once again, it goes back to what I always tell my patients. You know, I'm here to help you get healthy. It's not your weight is, will come off as a side effect. So it's not about your weight. It's about your health. If we get you healthy, your body's going to, the weight won't be an issue. So I think it's, you know, I always turn it around to how do I get someone healthy? So we just need to educate healthcare providers more to understanding that concept that it's not about laziness and it's not about picking out on food. Right. So my doc says weight is tied to thyroid. Can you explain more or elaborate on that one? Yeah, well, it could be tied to thyroid because if your thyroid is not functioning optimally, if you've got a dysfunctional thyroid, hypothyroidism, one of the symptoms is weight gain. You know, it's, it's as if you're the pedal on the accelerator is not working properly. So you'll feel tired, you'll maybe have dry skin, but you can gain weight. So that is one cause of weight gain, but probably not one of the commoner causes, although not an uncommon cause. So yes, it can be tied to low thyroid function, but definitely not always. It's one of the blood tests or the tests that need to be done. You always need to rule out hypothyroidism or low thyroid function but it's not always tied to thyroid function. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think it's important to point this out because I do have clients all the time who, who are overweight and say, hey, can you just give me some thyroid? And I say, well, let's test you. And if the testing is normal, I mean, completely normal, their TSH is right in the middle of the range and their, you know, their T4 and T3 are good, then I tell them the chance that taking thyroid is going to help you is almost zero. And I know docs that have gotten the trouble that say, okay, I'll give it to you anyway. You know, the medical boards don't like that. So I don't encourage just using thyroid as a weight loss intervention. It just, it doesn't work unless you've got subclinical hypothyroidism or full-on hypothyroidism. I agree 100%, 100%. Here's a really interesting question. A lot of popular dieting techniques look like eating disorders, for example, intermittent fasting. What strategies are safe? Are there any that don't trigger trauma for people who formerly had eating disorders? That's a good question. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's a really touchy situation. Yep. And I've, I've actually heard talk in the audience when uh, I've been listening to lectures on fasting, etc. You know, I've heard people in the audience say, hey, wait a minute, this is not good for a certain segment of the population. I think that for most people that don't have eating disorders or trauma around food, then the fasting, intermittent fasting, time-restrictive eating tends to be uniformly beneficial. I mean, there's study after study showing that, but you've got to pre-screen people. If somebody already has obsessions about food or obsessions about their weight, that's not the kind of person that you even want to bring this up in the first place. So that's really where the safety issue comes in, is doing, uh, you know, really good screening, a really good questionnaire on your patient and saying, okay, this is not the kind of person that I'm going to make that recommendation for. I agree 100%. I think, you know, people with past eating disorders or eating disorders, one has to be very, very tricky with putting them on a diet and a, or, as you point out, even intermittent fasting. So, yes, I think... You know, history of eating disorder is is something that needs to be dealt with very delicately and just slowly trying to shift people into a healthy way of eating rather than, you know, telling them you're putting them on a diet as such. Yeah. So and and I 
agree. I mean, the scenario I was thinking about, you know, this person was lecturing to, uh, it was a doctor lecturing to a, a lay audience. You know, I, I think maybe the doctor could have been a little bit more careful in framing it that way of saying, you know, if you've got an eating problem, then I'm not going to recommend this. So how can I improve my health regardless of my weight? That's a, once again, weight is just a, is, as I always say, a side effect. You improve your health by changing your lifestyle, by removing what could be harming you and adding what you're deficient in. As simple as that. A lot of it is by lifestyle changes, uh, taking care that you sleep well, dealing with your stress, moving your body as much as possible and taking the crap out of your diet. Yep. I fully, fully agree that it's all about kind of a complete approach lifestyle. It's not one. I think people are saying, is there one specific thing? You know, is there one specific supplement I should take, et cetera? And uh, I, I don't think that's the case. I think it's an all of the above. All right, folks. So that's all the time we have this week. Uh, appreciate you listening and tuning in. And, uh, and thank you, Frank, for sharing this podcast with me. And thank you, Bob. It's always such a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Thorn Podcast. Make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on your podcast app of choice. If you've got a health or wellness question you'd like answered, simply follow our Instagram and shoot a message to at Thorn Research. You can also learn more about the topics we discussed by visiting thorn.com and checking out the latest news, videos, and stories on Thorne's Take 5 daily blog. Once again, thanks for tuning in, and don't forget to join us next time for another episode of the Thorne Podcast.